Welcome to the You Are Not Broken podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kelly Casperson, a board-certified urologist, thought leader, and conversation starter on midlife living, hormones, and sexuality. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. I've got my good friend, Dr. Ashley Winter, on today, and we are going to talk about the male side of things. We're going to talk about arousal, erections, cock rings, Viagra, cardiac health. I was thinking I was thinking of a title of this before we started, and I'm like, the fortune-telling penis, because it really tells us how our heart's doing. It tells us how our mental health is doing. Like, it actually is kind of impressive when you think about erections that way. Ashley, welcome to the show. Hi, great to be here. I love being friends with you. And we were catching up before this and it was phenomenal. And uh, yeah, I'm so excited to be on. Dude, I love that you did one of the only, the only, not one of the only, the only fellowship in female sexual medicine with Dr. Erwin Goldstein. I didn't even know this fellowship existed when I was in training. Maybe it didn't exist when I was in training. I don't even freaking no. So you did that. You're actually very active on Twitter slash X. And that's where people that that is your niche. Tell me about the angry world of medical advocacy and sexual health on Twitter X. Yeah, I think the main takeaway with all of social media is you can go down the path of darkness or you can go down the path of lightness, right? Or light. <laughs> so there are a lot of people who are turned away from Twitter slash X because there is a cesspool of hate and misinformation. And I just go on there and I throw down facts about hormones and erections and female sexual arousal and talk about it relentlessly and talk about the same things over and over and over and over again. And when you do that with passion, the people who care about these topics will become educated and you just change lives. I mean, I was telling you before I have had, there was a physician in Pakistan who messaged me and said, you have changed my practice. I do things differently now because of you. I prescribe vaginal estrogen because of you. And now there's all these women in Pakistan who have different care because of you. And then I have somebody from Ireland, who's like, I advocated for my mom who's postmenopausal because of what you said, and you changed her life, and then you changed my life, and then I talked to my friends, and you changed their life. So that's where Twitter slash X is. I am trying to get better with doing um, TikTok and Instagram. It's just tough because I, I love being spontaneous. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. I love being spontaneous, and and with the written format, you're just like this is what I thought of, put it into the universe. But Instagram, you're like, do I have to use a template? Does it have to look nice? Do I need music? Do I have to make a dance? I don't know. Ah. I love it. So I love stressful. it. Dude, so follow Ashley G. Winter on Twitter and X first and foremost, because we're going to talk about penises today and clitorises. And you are a medical advisor for FirmTech. And they started as... I'm sorry, Ashley. I hate the word cock. Like, I'm sorry to all my listeners for even saying the word cock. Like, I have, I, I don't know. I have a problem with cock. Why don't I like it? But I guess I was just, ra- like, my mom raised me with anatomic names, like, even before med school, even before urology. So I'm like, penis ring. It's a penis ring. 
you know, I'll, I'll be talking to a patient. I'll say, well, have you tried a penile constriction device? And they're like, what? And then I say, a cock ring. And they're like, oh, oh okay. okay. <laughs> but yes, we could call a cock ring a penile constriction device. You call it whatever you want. I'm like, I have a podcast about sex and like I have a problem with the word cock, probably because like I was raised to use the word penis. But here we are. Okay, so it's a cock ring. It's a, it's a very cool cock ring. It's very comfortable. It's like a silicone. And it comes in two types. There's one that you can use as a cock ring, which is awesome. And then the other one is actually a smart wearable. Can you talk about those? I can talk about those. So all of our devices, either the one with the sensors, the smart cock ring, or the stupid cock ring, I, I don't know what you want to call it, <laughs> the one without, without, without those <laughs> sensors, but... Both of them are this, what we call a hook and loop configuration, right? And so the really cool thing about that is it's easier to adjust, it's easier to put on, and it is very easy to get off. So actually, from our smart cock ring, we have all these recordings, right? Data recordings on people wearing it. And people often wear it overnight to measure their nocturnal penile tumescence or their nighttime erections, right? But where I'm going with this specifically is that the average duration of our recordings over over 5,000 recordings was over six hours and people are having erections throughout the night. And so that tells us two things. One, which we can go into more detail later on about what it tells us about our cardiovascular health, but two, that it was safe to wear overnight. So as a urologist, one of the things we always tell people is like, don't Get, fall asleep with this cock ring, don't get it stuck. We might not be able to get it off. You might end up in the emergency department. You might have to call the fire department to get it off, blah, 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 right? I've done that. I've called the fire department about a cock ring. It's very bad when you call the fire department. It was uh, automotive grade steel. It was a motorcycle coil. No. Oh, God. I mean, nothing metal <laughs> should ever go around. Your genitals, just, just don't do it. I am totally pro kink, whatever crazy stuff you want to put on your body and chains you want to use, but don't use a metal cock ring. Just, just, just don't just do don't it. People it's <laughs> safe overnight. So, but I think like, I think that gets like, Hey, I want to enhance my erection. I want to feel good. I want to X, Y, and Z, but I have shame. So I'm going to go into my garage and use a, an automotive grade metal coil of like, if we uncover the fact of like, dude, Wanting this, using this is to normalize it so that people actually use a safe product. Like I, re I was interviewing for residency at a Midwest residency program and it was grand rounds on the interview and somebody had taken an Aquafina bottle, the bottom part of the cap with the spikes that you, you don't, you undo the cap of a water bottle, put that on. Not good. Not good, but we, until we kind of get this conversation above ground, people use unsafe things to enhance their sexual health. You know, one of the totally on this topic, one of the interesting spaces that I found myself dealing with in my urology practice was the guy who would come in with foreign bodies that he had put up his urethra and there would be either urethral damage or it had gotten stuck up the urethra or stuck in the bladder. And I remember having a conversation with one of these patients who was a highly educated, intelligent person. And he was talking about the fact that he found it to be pleasurable, right? It was just pleasurable. He didn't have some 
compulsion towards foreign object in his research. It was just him that was part of normal sexual stimulation. And his wife had been shaming him about this, right? And we basically sat down and had the conversation about how the inside of the urethral it is a normal erogenous zone for some people and how to do this stimulation safely, right? Like we teach people to do clean intermittent catheterization, right? Which is where they pass a catheter up their urethra. So we know it's safe to stick something up your urethra when done correctly. And we authorize it all the time. So how can we teach somebody safely to apply sexual stimulation inside their urethra? And they can do that okay, because we know they can with catheters. So it's about educating, not shaming, and normalizing, and they'll be successful. And um, the guy was successful. So... I love it. Just for my listeners who can't get enough of us talking about the foreign bodies we've seen up things because we're urologists and why keep all this information to ourselves? Uh, A friend of mine who's a urologist had a person put chewing gum up their urethra and it was actually a lot of chewing gum. Again, pleasurable, not using a safe product, couldn't get the chewing gum back out, had to have basically open surgery to get it out. So safe products, people, safe products. The, The chewing gum industry doesn't think they need to put that on the label, but apparently they do. If you're over 40, you might be in perimenopause or menopause. Perimenopause is the time leading up to menopause, where your hormone levels start to decline, and it can last up to 10 years. If you're experiencing symptoms like irregular periods, mood swings, forgetfulness, anxiety, sleep disruption, or hot flashes, it might be time to talk to a doctor. Alloy is a new kind of women's health company here to help you feel your best and stay healthy through perimenopause and beyond. From hormonal treatments to symbiotics to skincare, they have what you need to age healthfully. Alloy doctors are licensed in all 50 states, and all practitioners are menopause trained. Work with a doctor to get a personalized treatment plan. And once you're a member, you'll get everything shipped to your door, including automatic refills, and you'll get unlimited messaging with your doctor who can answer any questions you have as they come up. Go to myalloy.com to start your virtual appointment today. Use code NOTBROKEN20. It's good for $20 off any purchase, one-time use per customer, and expires on July 31st, 2024. The important thing about penile erections, I think, is twofold. Number one, it's a harbinger of cardiac, cardiovascular disease, which is the number one killer of all humans in America. So number one, we got to talk about the role of erectile dysfunction and it being linked to heart disease. And then number two, the fact that all bodies have erections, all bodies get aroused, all bodies have pelvic blood flow, and kind of will go into your work on the, the clitoral smart and wearable device that's coming in the future. Yeah. So what we know from extensive amounts of data is that cardiovascular based erectile dysfunction, right? So you can have like your young, super healthy person who has performance anxiety based erectile dysfunction. Okay, fine. That's kind of a separate category. We're talking about the person who is having loss of nighttime erections, loss of waking up with that morning wood, probably in mid or later in life. So that person, we know that erectile dysfunction starts about two to five years before any symptomatic cardiovascular disease, okay? So heart attack, stroke. And if you look at published literature, they say it 
precedes symptomatic cardiovascular disease. It precedes, it's part of subclinical cardiovascular disease, but I would almost say that this should be recategorized as a symptom of cardiovascular disease, right? Exactly. That's exactly where I was getting to in reading the stuff you sent me, the Princeton consensus, which we should talk about. But it's like, why aren't we just calling erectile dysfunction and give it an age cutoff? I don't care. But like, say 40, 40 years old, but 40% of men will have some sort of erectile issues by 40. And then why aren't we calling that a sign of cardiovascular disease? Right. It isn't a harbinger for cardiovascular disease. It is a symptom. It is cardiovascular disease. Totally. It is the first sign of cardiovascular disease. And why is this the case, right? Erections are a blood flow event and they're a very obvious blood flow event. It is the canary in the coal mine. It is the most sensitive. It is the most obvious hemodynamic event that's kind of whole organ, right? Like you're getting blood flow into your penis. It's getting hard and it's staying hard. It's telling you how well your pump is working and that pump is connected to the big pump, which is the heart. The Princeton's, the Princeton, yeah, consensus, which is basically talking about like heart disease and erections and what do you do with men with erections and heart disease, which is very, very awesome. Thank you for sending it. They basically said that like about 50% of men who have a heart attack had no signs beforehand. And I want to question that statement to say how many of them had erectile dysfunction beforehand, because maybe they did have a sign. We just weren't looking at it. 100%. And previous, there's been four of these Princeton consensus documents. One just came out. But in previous iterations, they had even suggested that every single man in his screening annual physicals should be asked about sexual dysfunction, should be asked about erectile dysfunction because it is such a powerful indicator of our overall health, which is just wild, right? Because we always compartmentalize sexual health. We like to say sexual health is health, but that doesn't get into mainstream medicine. But this is why it should, because it isn't just about your penis. It isn't just about what happens at night in your bedroom. It is about staying alive and thriving and being healthy and your entire body. And so kind of tying into this, these firm tech devices and also where our future research is going, I believe very strongly that honing in on the power of looking at erectile function as an indicator of our overall health is going to be part of this medicine 3.0, right? So we talk a lot about using things like smart wearables, about... um, blood glucose monitoring to get more sophisticated insight on how healthy our body is to be proactive. And if you take something like a smart penile constriction device that can measure your erectile rigidity and duration, then you're going to be able to look in a quantified and sophisticated way at these cardiovascular risk factors as they manifest in your penis. So did I change my diet? And is that leading to an impact on my nocturnal erections? Did I stop smoking? Am I seeing a benefit, quantifiable benefit in my nighttime erections or in my partnered sexual activity or my solo sexual activity? Is my sleep quality improving the blood flow into my penis, right? And these are things for the first time ever these are data points we can collect. And I am so excited to see how people are able to use that proactively to understand our health. What's the normal amount of nocturnal erections per night? Is is it like five? 
Oh, this is a great question. I mean, in general, and I think it varies. I mean, it happens during REM sleep. So what is, <laughs> this is, I should know offhand, the average duration of your sleep cycle, right? That you get a REM. Even if there isn't like a normal for like a guy straps this on and he's like, I need to get five a night. I've, I mean, I've heard of guys using this, drinking, and then realizing how bad their sleep is because their amount of nighttime erections went down. And then not drinking and being like, whoa, <laughs> my penis likes it way better when I go to bed without alcohol in my body. Right. My husband has sleep apnea and uses a CPAP device. And I haven't convinced him to use this, but sometimes he wakes up feeling like crap because he didn't use his CPAP. And I would be so interested to know what was the duration and quality of his erections when he uses his CPAP versus when he doesn't use his CPAP, oh, right? Like, There's a study. I, it is a study for sure. I think there's a few men with sleep apnea in this country that could, could do that study for you. You may have heard me talk about GSM, short for General Urinary Syndrome of Menopause. GSM encompasses various symptoms associated with declining estrogen levels, like pain during intercourse, irritation, bladder urgency, and even recurrent urinary tract infections, or UTIs. There's a company called Solve Wellness that I've been following for several years that is committed to helping women at midlife manage some of these GSM symptoms. If you've heard about 36 milligrams PAC in a cranberry supplement for UTI prevention, that's Solve. They developed the science and created the market in the U.S. with their product Allura, the most effective UTI supplement available. They also decided to raise the bar for non-hormonal vaginal moisturizers by introducing VIA, a hyaluronic acid formula designed to be absorbed by the skin. To learn more about Solve Wellness and their clinically studied and proven pelvic health products, visit solvewellness.com, S-O-L-V-Wellness.com, and get 30% off your first purchase, automatically applied at checkout. Check them out. Introducing FirmTech, the ultimate smart erection ring for men's sexual health and well-being. Just like women use vibrators to enhance their intimacy, FirmTech allows men to experience pleasure, perform better, and enhance their orgasm in a sleek, comfortable design. Using FirmTech's award-winning tech ring, men get objective, personal information about their erections, both during sex and while they're sleeping. This is actionable data that goes straight to the app for confidential analysis and feedback in the comfort of your home. Get your erection fitness score today, because every man deserves to know. Their easy on-off hook, comfortable stretchy elastomer, and pinot scrotal design elevate this ring above the others on the market. Go to MyFirmTech.com and enter code NOTBROKEN for 15% off today. So the cool thing about FirmTech is they're not just caring about men, they actually are working on a clitoral device because for like the people in the back, the clitoris is the penis, the penis is the clitoris, same mechanism of action. You get aroused, you have blood flow. Women have nocturnal clitoral tumescence. Nobody ever gets taught this. Like, let's talk about the corollary for all pelvises. Yes. So I was a scientific advisor at this company for over a year as the penile device was being developed. And going to market. And they came to me and said, we want to make a device for the Clarus. And I was so completely thrilled that they care about, <laughs> that they care about this. 
as you're saying, the clitoris has erectile tissue. When you are aroused, your body sends the signals to the blood vessels in and around your clitoris to engorge. That helps you with your clitoral sensitivity. It helps you achieve orgasm. And really importantly, blood vessels dilating in your vulva, in your vulvar vestibule, and blood vessels dilating in your vagina are also part of the arousal process and lead to lubrication and sensitivity as well, right? So it's really cool because men have an erection, but women have an erection and have this genital engorgement that leads to all this good stuff, right? <laughs> like the lubrication. And so when you have cardiovascular disease, when those blood vessels are not as healthy, as responsive, when the signals, the nervous signals don't reach the body the way they should, let's say, because you have diabetes or the effects of, of peripheral nerve disease, you're not going to get that clitoral fullness. You're not going to get that clitoral sensitivity. You're not going to get that wetness in response to arousal. And so often women are told that this is just a psychological thing and it can be psychological, right? But they say, oh, just use a vibrator or, oh, drink a glass of wine or, oh, watch something sexy, read a sexy book, right? But saying that this is a real physical phenomenon related to our cardiovascular health for men and not for women is a tremendous disservice. It's the same, it's the same exact thing. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because it if a woman comes in, and it's much more rare, I think, for a woman to come in saying, hey, I have an arousal disorder, right? Whereas a man can be like, hey, my penis doesn't work. You're like, okay, that's super common. Viagra's been around since 1998, right? We've kind of normalized that conversation and encouraging all those men with erectile dysfunction to get a cardiac workup, but women should be getting a cardiac eval too. 100%, 100%. So this is the mission with developing the female device is saying, yes, we do know when the clitoris is feeling more or less sensitive, we do know when we feel wet versus dry in response to sexual stimulation. But from the purpose of equity in our mission to understand sexual function better, we want to level this playing field. We want to give women these quantitative insights into their genital responsiveness, right? Like Somebody said to me, right, can't you just, can't you just feel it? Don't you just know? And I said, okay, when has the ever said to a man, well, can't you just feel if you have an erection? Can you just feel it? No, you, they look at their penis. They look at it. <laughs> they, they look at their penis. You don't say, oh, can't you just feel if it's hard? No, like you want more insight than that. And I believe so strongly that providing a device that will give that quantitative insight is going to normalize that this is a physical thing related to our overall health, but also that it's just a thing, that it's not in your brain. <laughs> and to have quantitative real-time insights are going to help you with things like biofeedback, modifying your diet, your smoking, your medications, your use of hormones, and you can see oh yes, I really see that when I wasn't using my vaginal estrogen, I was not able to get lubricated in response to sexual stimulation. And now I can. And like, not just feel that, but I can, I can know these things, right? Or I wasn't able to get aroused and whatever. I love it. With the, with the female wearable, are you going to be able to wear it during sexual activity or just when you're sleeping for the nocturnal? Great question. So the prototype we have now is 
basically there's an egg that sits in the vagina and then there's kind of this soft piece that goes forward and there's a sensor that fits it, sits in front of the clitoris, right? And again, the fascinating thing is people say to me, oh, that seems impossible. How do you get something that sits in front of your clitoris, right? It doesn't, there's impossible. I can tell you the device we have is so simple and it just goes in and then it sits in front of your clitoris. Like people thinking it's impossible to measure the clitoris, just it's because they haven't tried. And I also hate this, like we could biohack the penis, but the clitoris is some amorphous genital that exists in a little pink cloud with sparkles that you can't analyze. Like, no, <laughs> right? It's oh. like, dude, like, you know, the paper that came out in 2023 by Dr. Aluko and Dr. Peters about the amount of nerve endings in the clitoris, like we were just comparing, we were using cows, a cow study until last year on the, the fact of how many nerve endings the clitoris had. Like, it, you're right. It's literally in a black box of like, some people have the password and, and nobody else does. Yeah. I mean, we study the human body down to individual nerves, right? We know about parts of the brain that are submillimeter in size. Like the clitoris is not impossible to study. It is not, it's right there. So, but anyway, so I digress, but our sensor, right, is this egg and this little forward piece and a little sensor that sits in front of the clitoris. And we've been working on different types of sensors. So our initial pilot study was measuring the clitoral pulse amplitude, And what you could see was basically a change in your clitoral pulse amplitude in response to erotic material, right? Now, in that format, you could not wear it while you were physically stimulating the head of the clitoris, right? So that is a limitation. And in that current form, you're going to like wear it overnight or put it on before sexual activity, put it on after sexual activity. We are looking to develop one that would be incorporated into sex toys. So that could be used during stimulation for sure. Because if you have the sensor in the tip of your vibrator, then, you know, it's hunky-dory and it, uh, it works out for everyone. My hope is that also we're able to develop devices that not just look at the clitoral glands, but even the clitoral bodies, the crura, right? Because we know that the clitoris is a whole wishbone shape and goes down quite a bit and that we're able to develop technologies that don't rely on that one confirmation. And this is just research that's going to be ongoing and isn't going to happen in one second. Like we have working prototypes, but I think the sky is the limit, right? You can look at tissue oxygenation versus the pulse oxygenation. Those are different things. And nobody's explored that, right? There's radar sensors. I mean, there's so much freaking cool stuff and I want to know all of it. And I want it to just be something that you can use in your real space, like at home, not in a doctor's office where you're stressed out and like, this is the mission. (laughs) I love it. And I think, I mean, it really starts with normalizing everybody's bodies get aroused heart disease affects all arousal, like just these like basics that you have to keep like tweeting to be like, so people even get why it's important. And the fact that cardiovascular disease affects your sexual health and your sexual health can be a sign of cardiovascular disease, any gender, any pelvis. And we have so much more research to go. 
Like you're at the tip of the iceberg for, we're at the tip of the iceberg for the penis and measuring nocturnal erections, right? Tip of the iceberg of that, let alone female ones. You know, the original tests for looking to see if somebody had nighttime erections was they would just take a ring of post-it stamps, right? Like the old school post-it stamps when they would be attached. Perforated. (laughs) Yeah, the perforated ones. And you would just put a ring of literally post-it stamps around somebody's penis and wake up and see when they woke up if that had torn one of the perforations. I mean... And that, and that wasn't even that long ago. <laughs> no, it wasn't that long ago. That's a classic Sex in the City episode. It's Charlotte's husband won't sleep with her. So she throws on some postage stamps while he's sleeping and he gets an erection and she's like, ah! <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. How yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I have to go I back and big, watch that. I was a big that fan of incredible. Sex in the City in med school. So we'll put the links down for Firm Tech. If people want to support the nonprofit to do the research, I'm going to put all those links in the bio keep doing amazing work. What's our what's our timeline for the female device on the market? Do we have any goals? Basically, I'm asking, when can you come back and talk about this again? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the main thing right now for the female device is we need additional funding to do the research. So like I said, we have an initial prototype. We have a good initial clinical trial that we ran that was IRB approved. We would like to explore a few more sensor types before we get it on the market, and we definitely need funding to do that. So if people are interested in supporting us, you can certainly invest in the company. You can also invest in our nonprofit. Well, donate to our nonprofit. And if people are excited about that, please reach out to me. You will put the links. I am also Ashley at myfirmtech.com. You can email me. I would love to hear from you. And... Yeah, I I would love to give you an update on the timeline, but I will let you know when. (laughs) Dude, thank you so much for coming on and educating us and like going back to the basics and then like taking us to the future all in the same episode. I really appreciate it. No, as you were saying, you can simplify so much of this, right? As you were saying, when you realize that all genders get erections, that arousal is blood vessels dilating, that lubrication is blood vessels dilating, that when we say female sexual arousal disorder and erectile dysfunction, we're kind of overcomplicating it. The basics are there for everyone. And when we understand that, and we look at these unifying principles, that's like the essence of biohacking our sexual function. I mean, it's simple. It's simple. And we should care about our bodies. And we should care about everybody's bodies. It's simple. Yes. Yes. Awesome. My love. Thank you so much for joining us. Sexual health. Sexual health. Until next time. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of You Are Not Broken. If you want to dig deeper with me, sign up for my adult sex education masterclass where you learn adult things like communication skills, anatomy lessons, and desire types, and how to talk to your doctor about sexual health concerns. If you want the adult sex education masterclass for free, Join my monthly membership for more in-depth, exclusive content, more time with yours truly, a private podcast, coaching, and educational empowerment. And you can watch my interviews live and get them immediately without advertising. Head over to www.kellycaspersonmd.com for the membership and adult sex ed masterclass. Members get the masterclass for free. This podcast is presented solely for educational, entertainment, and informational purposes only. I am a doctor, but not your doctor in this format. And all of my platforms and guests, including on this podcast, are not giving individual medical advice or practicing medicine. See and consult with your own care team for your individual needs and concerns. 
This podcast is not intended as a substitute for the care and advice of a physician, therapist, or other qualified professional. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine, in case you were curious about that, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. But I still love you. Using the information on this podcast or any of my platforms is at your own risk. Until next time, remember, you are not broken.